You are listening to the 542 and the Blue Podcast. Discussions of law enforcement history, issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and other areas. Hosted by Scott Lunsford, retired police detective sergeant, author and researcher. This is Victoria, your producer. Scott, your microphone is on. Thank you, Victoria and Alice, for the introduction and for getting us back on the podcast schedule again. Today's Shade of Blue story for 542 in the Blue, we're going to look at something kind of scary and but still a very important topic in today's world, I'm afraid, uh, the topic of school shootings and how they've affected not only modern times but past times. The Washington Post in 2018 said that school shootings are uniquely an American crisis. School shootings are considered an overwhelmingly American phenomenon. I don't necessarily agree with this. There have been school shootings in other parts of the world and other acts of school violence in other parts of the world as well as in the United States that don't involve shootings. But all of this needs to be taken and looked at and hopefully plans drawn up to address the issue. Seventy uh, percent of the perpetrators of most of your school shootings were under the age of 18 and within the range, most of the medium range of 16. Some media sources have glorified the issue, leading some to say that the issue itself is a cause. I also disagree with that. A United States Secret Service study concluded that schools were placing false hope in a lot of physical security, while they should be paying more attention to pre-attack behaviors of students. Zero tolerance policies and metal detectors are helpful but they're not the total solution. The researchers focused on questions concerning the reliance on SWAT teams and police response, when in fact most of these attacks are over before the police arrived. Assessment of students who were showing warning signs in the absence of a definitive profile, expulsion of students for minor infractions, and when the expulsion sometimes is the spark that pushed that student over the edge to where they return to school with a gun. Those are the issues that need to be looked at, I think. When we evaluate threats, keeping in mind that these young killers rarely make direct threats and reliance on metal detectors again in school, when shooters often make no effort to actually hide their weapons when they come into school. Like I said previously, the issue of school violence and school shooting is not a new phenomenon. For example, we have November 12, 1840, Charlottesville, Virginia. John Anthony Gardner Davis, a law professor at the University of Virginia, was fatally shot by one of his students, a Joseph Siemens, and he died three days later. November 2, 1853, Louisville, Kentucky. Student Matthew Ward shot the schoolmaster, William Butler, for revenge for what Ward thought was excessive punishment of his brother the day before. And that case actually ended up going to trial. Butler 
passed away and died, and Ward was actually acquitted. August 16, 1856, Florence, Alabama. Schoolmaster warned students not to harm his tame sparrow, threatening them with death if they did. One of the boys stepped on the bird and killed it. When the boy returned to school, the schoolmaster took the boy into a private room and strangled him. Now the boy's father, upon hearing this and what had happened, went back to the school and shot the schoolmaster dead. July 8th, 1858, Baltimore, Maryland. While the students of the Meridian Street School were on the playground, student Ben Corby drew a revolver and seriously wounded 10-year-old Cora Burbunch in the face. Cora had told the teacher about Ben's misconduct and what he had been up to. So Ben was getting revenge. April 1890, the 15-year-old son of Colonel John D. Farlow. He was the Biltmore Marshal of the Police between 1867 and 1870. Was killed during a Sabbath school gathering. The perpetrator escaped, but several arrests were made, but it's unclear whether they actually located the killer. December 27, 1890. Now, still, we're in the 1800s here. At a military academy, a 15-year-old young man from Denison, Texas, was shot and killed by a 17-year-old classmate. March 30, 1891, an unknown gunman fired a double-barrel shotgun into a mixed audience made up of black and white students, parents, and teachers. Fourteen people were wounded, some seriously, and no arrest has been made in that case in 1891. 1893, 70-year-old James Foster fired a shotgun at a group of students on the playground of St. Mary's Parochial School. All these things have been happening, and this is, there's actually incidents that are documented before the 1800s, but school violence has been going on for a long time as long as there has been schools. Now looking at more modern times, let's move up to 1987, in particular a March 2nd, 1987, where a young 12-year-old Nathan Ferris was going to change many people's lives for good that day. Nathan was 12 years old. He was an honor student at Del Caleb High School. Being the smartest one in class, he was often teased and picked on. Smart and small, it was for him a very bad combination. Nathan was also overweight as well, and for bullies, that's like waving a red flag. Classmates have reported after the fact that nobody really had anything against him. He was just somebody to pick on. Another 12-year-old agreed, saying it's been happening ever since the third or fourth grade. People teased him because he wore sunglasses, they called him Sonny, and also picked on him because he was overweight. There was an idea that something actually was up the Friday before the incident occurred. Nathan had told several people he was going to bring his gun to school that Monday morning. Nathan was remembered saying they wouldn't be picking on him anymore, but unfortunately no one believed him, so nothing was said to an adult 
or a school staff member about the allegations and the possibility of him bringing a gun to school. Now, Monday morning, Nathan did, in fact, produce this gun. It was a 45 caliber pistol. Other students didn't think it was real, just some kind of a toy. Some laughed, and Nathan pointed it at one of his bullies. The week before, this individual had taken Nathan's seat in class and refused to let him have his regular seat. The boy also didn't think the gun was real and, and attempted to pry it from Nathan's hands. A 13-year-old who was watching the scene unfold jumped up, also grabbed Nathan's wrist and was trying to get Nathan to let go of the pistol, but Nathan would not. This young man by the first name of Tim thought it was a fake gun because he eventually let go and went back to his seat laughing. That was when Nathan shot. It was aimed at this particular young man, but it missed its intended target. The other kids in the classroom now realized what was happening and started running out the door. Nathan fired again, one of the rounds hitting one of the young men that were wrestling with him for the, at that time, thought of as a toy gun. So we have one young man shot in the chest who later passed away. As he crawled out of the room, Nathan took the pistol, put it to his own head, and pulled the trigger, killing himself. And it was over, just that quickly. A sergeant from the county sheriff's department said that Nathan had been the subject of what he described as brutal classmate harassment. He had words of praise for uh, the victim. I don't believe that, that he was the potential victim. Unfortunately, he tried to save his other classmates. No one will ever know exactly what he was thinking as he planned and executed his attack on what he thought were his enemies. Let's move up a few more years. May 26, 2000, the last day of the school year at Lake Worth Middle School. Nathaniel Brazil, 13 years old, was sent home for throwing water balloons. Again, last day of school. I guess if you're going to get sent home, probably the last day of school is the best day to get it done. The trouble on this day is that Nathan came back when Nathan returned to school, he brought a 25 caliber pistol with him. He walked into his English arts class and asked to see two of the female uh, students. The instructor knew that Nathan had been sent home and was not about to give him a chance to add to his own problems. Unable to see the girls that he wanted to see, Nathaniel took out his gun and shot the teacher in the face. He then ran down the hallway and out the exit door. He left the instructor dying in front of his classroom, in front of all the students in the class. While running away from the school, Nathaniel spotted a police car and recognized the officer driving it. It was an Officer Mahoney, who Nathan recognized from his neighborhood. He flagged down the patrol car and then fell to his knees in the middle of the street. He then proceeded to tell the officer what had taken place back at the school and surrendered himself to the officer. Now, what was it that sent this 13-year-old off? Was it because he had been sent home? Last day of school, hours left in the school day, and he was sent home. And as it turns out, this teacher that was killed was actually Nathaniel's favorite teacher. Nathaniel had written 
his teacher a letter earlier, about six weeks ago before the killing. He wrote that he had been having a very difficult time at school. He claimed that the students and teachers had been picking on him throughout the seventh grade. It had become so bad that Nathaniel told this teacher that he was contemplating suicide. It seems that Nathaniel had also just recently developed a crush on one of his classmates, one of the young ladies that he asked to speak to. Just six days before the shooting, this young lady had given Nathaniel his first kiss. On the day of the shooting, he had brought flowers and a card to school. When he had come back to see the girls, it was just to say goodbye with summer break just starting, according to his statements. Classmates also told uh, detectives investigating the situation that the teacher was, there was an awful lot going on in that 13-year-old's brain that day. Nathaniel was charged with first-degree murder. Uh, the prosecutor announced the accused would be tried as an adult. Remember, he is 13 years old. This happened in May of 2000, and the trial actually got underway in May of 2001. The defense claimed the shooting had been a tragic accident, and the defense attorney claimed Nathaniel had believed that the gun's safety had been on when he pointed it at his teacher. The jury did not believe that the crime added up to first-degree murder. However, they did find Nathaniel guilty of the lesser charge of second-degree murder. Several months later, Nathaniel was sentenced to 28 years in prison with no parole eligibility. The prosecution maintained a very hard line in the court case. This was a serious crime committed by a young man with a difficult personality who should be behind bars. Let us not forget a man's life had been taken away. Investigators look back on anything in Nathaniel's past that, that might have led to this this unfortunate tragedy and it's easy to see that the family was very dysfunctional. His mother was in and out of a number of abusive relationships. There had been 17 episodes of domestic violence that the police had responded to at their home. At 13 years old, Nathaniel was often forced to break up fights between his mother and his stepfather at the moment. His latest stepfather wanted Nathaniel out of the house so the boy was home only during the day and shuttled to his grandmother's home at night. It kind of seems like Nathaniel's life was basically a perfect storm of events that led up to this violence. The end result, of course, being one man was dead and one 13-year-old locked up for what could possibly be his life. Three years after the shooting happened, a Florida State Court of Appeals upheld the second-degree murder conviction. Another appeal then upheld the 28-year sentence. Nathaniel is now over 32 years old. He has been in prison for 18 of those years. His current release date is listed as eight years from now, May 18, 2008, when Nathaniel would be 41 years old. The widow of the murdered teacher sued the family friend that had owned the handgun that Nathaniel had used. She also filed suit against the county school board, the pawn shop, 
that sold the handgun to the family friend, and these cases were settled for over $1 million. She also filed a legal action against the gun manufacturer that resulted in a $1.2 million jury verdict. But the trial judge set aside the verdict, and in 2005, the Florida Court of Appeals upheld the ruling. While he's been in prison, uh, Brazil has earned his GED and has also become certified as a paralegal. As a child, he was surrounded by domestic violence and alcoholism at home, and local police frequently responded to calls from his residence. Prior to the murder, though, he was an honor student, described by teachers as being very mild-mannered and likable. And again, the teacher that he killed, everybody t said in the investigative follow-up that that was Nathaniel's favorite teacher. Our next subject, Michael Cornell, again a 14-year-old young man. He was a freshman at a Paducah, Kentucky high school. It was said that he was bullied a lot at school due to his weight. And we all know that kids can be mean at times and Michael was teased and picked on quite a bit according to follow-up investigations. One day Michael's name showed up. One day Michael's name showed up in the middle school school newspaper, not the high school's newspaper, but the middle school's newspaper. And it said in a small classified ad that Michael had feelings for another male student. And this, of course, caused more taunts and about his weight and now uh, being the brunt of homophobic slurs. He was called all sorts of names. Now a plan for revenge began to shape, take shape in Michael's head and he began assembling a arsenal basically. He went to the home of a friend and he knew his friend's dad collected guns. He also knew they were usually stored in the garage. Michael went over there and helped himself to four 22 caliber rifles a 30-30 rifle lever action, and lots of ammunition. From another home, he stole a Ruger 22 caliber pistol and a couple of magazines for that pistol. If he needed more, Michael figured he could always raid his own father's collection, and he did just that. He took two shotguns from the closet and hid them under his bed. He had secured all these guns and ammunition that he thought he might need. Now, December 1st, 1997, that Monday morning. He grabbed a rifle and a shotgun and wrapped them in a blanket. When his sister asked him what it was, Michael simply told her that it was an art project. He also carried a loaded pistol in his backpack. His sister gave him a ride to school. The week before, Michael had told some of his friends and some of his tormentors that something big is going to happen on Monday. But again, no one took him seriously Nobody seemed to care enough to inquire as exactly what he meant, and nobody notified an adult. Michael and his sister reached school around 7.45 in the morning. Uh, there was no turning back now, I guess. He calmly put his earplugs in and took the pistol from his backpack after his sister left. There were a number of students in a youth prayer group around the flagpole. 
Michael turned and fired eight rounds into the group. After firing the shots, Michael put the gun down. One of the young men shot at was Benjamin Strong. When he saw Michael put the gun down, ran over to him, and Michael made the statement, Kill me, please. I can't believe I did that. Then he turned around and gave himself up to the principal at the high school, Mr. Bill Bond. Eight members of the prayer group had been hit. A Nicole, a Casey, and a Jessica all died at the hospital. A Craig, a Kelly, a Holen, a Melissa, and Shelley were all wounded, but survived. One student uh, suffered the worst injury. She was paralyzed from the waist down for the rest of her life. Michael pled guilty to one count of murder, one count of attempted murder, and one count of burglary. And on December 15, 1998, he was sentenced to life with a possibility of parole after 25 years. In 2012, he attempted to withdraw this uh, guilty plea and he claimed that he was mentally ill at the time and didn't understand what was going on. His appeals and requests for having the judgment set aside all failed. The Kentucky Department of Corrections shows his parole eligibility as November 16th, 2022, two years from now. Here is one quote from Michael that I did find in an article. I regret what I did. I know I killed people. It wasn't right. I have no explanation for what I did. More guns is more power. You have more power. You look better if you have more guns. He thought his classmates would be impressed by the guns. That almost made it sound as if he was not bringing the guns to kill but to gain some sort of respect of the other students, which I don't understand because why would he need the ammunition then? I don't know why I wasn't bluffing this time. I guess it was because they ignored me. I had guns. I thought they would be scared and then no one would mess with me. They would talk to me and things would be different. When I got arrested, I had five guns. The handgun was a 22. I had stashed two double barrel shotguns and two 22 rifles. So I had two shotguns, two rifles, and a handgun. I wasn't targeting anybody. I don't remember what happened very well. Now, Carnell had in his locker at the time a copy of Stephen King's novel, Rage. Uh, after the shooting, King requested his publisher to allow it to go out of print, fearing that it might inspire similar tragedies. Rage for a time continued to be available in the United Kingdom, the families of the deceased agreed to a $42 million settlement. However, at the time of the settlement, uh, he had no assets, and his family's insurance company, Kentucky Farm Bureau, insisted repeatedly through court motion that it was not liable for his actions. In early 1999, the parents of three victims filed a $3 million lawsuit against two internet pornography sites several computer game companies and the makers and distributors of the 1994 film Natural Boy and Killers and the 1995 film The Basketball Diaries. They claimed uh, that the media violence that inspired Michael and therefore should be held 
responsible for the deaths that occurred. The case was dismissed in 2002. The Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that it was simply too far of a leap from shooting characters on a video game to shooting people in a classroom. The same year, an identical case was brought against the same companies by the family of the teacher killed in the Columbine High School massacre. It also was dismissed in 2002. U.S. Attorney General John Ashcroft stated in an interview once that Michael's proficiency in marksmanship was due to the practice he had in violent video game. I don't necessarily believe that. You have a group of people and you open fire on that group, you're liable to more than likely take several people down. Now this incident occurred about 40 miles from another high school where another shooting occurred on January 23rd, 2018. This happened at 7.55 in the morning as students were in the open area of the high school waiting for the start of class. A 15-year-old student by the last name of Parker opened fire with a Ruger handgun, killing two 15-year-olds. He reportedly went to the school's band room to check with his friends before the shooting to make sure they were not in the area before returning to the common area and beginning his attack. Witnesses stated that the gunsman's eyes were lifeless and that he said nothing while he fired at the students. After the shooting, he discarded the weapon and ran to the weight room and hid with other students and tried to blend in. As many students dropped what they were carrying, such as phones and bags, and jumped and ran over fences or just ran into the wood to hide, many students also ran to the school's tech buildings on campus. Eighteen other people were injured by the bullets and the chaos afterwards, with three critically injured. Parker was taken into custody by the Sheriff's Department about 30 minutes later. Now once again, after the incident was over, a search of the shooter's personal belongings showed that he had on his person, when he was searched, a copy of the Communist Manifesto and a large Winchester sheath knife. At home, he also had a copy of Mein Kampf. Those of you not familiar is the book by Adolf Hitler, My Struggle. Once he was arrested, he was Mirandized and interviewed for almost two hours before he requested a lawyer. According to the testimony of one of the investigators, during the interrogation, Parker expressed that he was an atheist and that his life had no purpose and other people's lives also had no purposes. Officers also stated that Parker indicated the shooting was an experiment to see how students and society would respond. Well, that's it for this shade of blue. I hate to leave it on such a bad note, but school violence is a real thing. We need to address the issue. If you're listening to this podcast and a young person you know tells you about issues with another student that give you some concern, if you're listening to this podcast and a young person you know provides you with some information, please pass that along and encourage your, the young people in your life to also 
take advantage of the school resource officers, the teachers, and other staff at schools. If you see something, say something. Thank you to the ladies who helped put my podcast together, Victoria and Engineer Alice. For more information on future podcasts and when they will be released, as well as a list of previous Shades of Blue podcasts, go to scottlunsfordauthor.com. You can find copies of my book there as well as on Amazon.com. Just search for R. Scott Lunsford or Scott Lunsford. I can also be reached at the contact page of my website. Suggestions, comments, and opposing viewpoints are always welcome. Remember, as the coming week goes through, try to be safe and be secure. And this week, let's do something nice for somebody. Alice, close us out. Hold on, Alice, before we close out. I just wanted to add this as I'm posting this podcast on Friday night uh, for review on Saturday. I'm sad to say that another incident has occurred, this time in Mexico City. At least two people were killed at an elementary school in northern Mexico today when an 11-year-old opened fire on his teacher and classmates with two guns. The preliminary investigation, according to the press, is showing that the student arrived at his class, told a classmate, today is the day, and then asked permission to go to the bathroom. After not returning, his teacher went to look for him. He emerged from the bathroom firing two guns, the shooting ending when he took his own life. Among the wounded were five other students and a gym teacher. Uh, The governor of that particular state in Mexico said the shooter lived with his grandparents and that his mother had died some years ago. He said the boy had not presented any type of behavioral problems before in school. Investigators were looking into reports that the boy was influenced by a particular video game. That information just came out today. You can look it up for yourself online. As I said at the start of this podcast, this is not just an American situation. It's happening all over the world. We as parents and adults need to listen to what's happening with our children and the young people that we have day-to-day contact with. All right, close us out, Alice. You have been listening to the 542 in the Blue podcast. Discussions of law enforcement history, issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and beyond. Hosted by Scott Lunsford. For more information on this podcast, go to scottlunsfordauthor.com. There you will find a link to the podcast website and information on Scott's books and how to order them. Scott can also be reached through the message portal. This is Alice your engineer. Background music. Purpleplanet.com. Used with permission.